This is the Modern Rubbish Podcast with your hosts, White Koish and David Paha. In this episode, Something in the Dirt. Enjoy! So a lot of what we've just been doing with our talking about how Tom York and Stanley Donwood knew about 9-11 or <laughs> Lovecraft and <laughs> Crowley uh, ties in with the movie we watched this week. <laughs> And the Dude, that was like these, that was seriously an hour. Yeah, the, the speculation <laughs> that uh, yeah. they've maybe maybe that's a supplemental episode that we just did. Um, it's like it's yeah. decent, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, that I, I so so we watched um, uh, what twenty twenty two yeah last year movie uh, called Something in the Dirt by Aaron Moorhead and Justin Benson, and part of why. Uh, I thought this movie would be fun to do is because of a, a certain amount of what these characters do in the movie is what we do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and I, I yeah. thought specifically about after like the Ninth Gate episode and when we start really like showing our uh, our like weird colors. <laughs> yeah. That it was like, yeah, you know, it's good to have some self-awareness. <laughs> <laughs> and it might be fun to talk about a movie about some dudes who are into some weird shit and uh yeah you know yeah yeah like um the whole movie is them trying they experience something together and they're trying to figure it out i mean that's basically the synopsis <laughs> yeah pretty much <laughs> probably pretty quick to summarize which is yeah what it's it's just two guy a guy moves into an apartment meets his new neighbor they're starting to hang, and then one of them notices some essentially paranormal activity in the apartment. They both see it. It seems to be objectively happening, and so they decide to yeah. investigate yeah. it. You know, let's get some cameras. Let's do research. Let's uh, let's go down this road and sort of like what we were talking about, however long ago. You know, be careful what you wish for. I guess because it yeah, it goes in wonderful directions and horrible directions and yeah one thing I, I i do enjoy about this like right off the bat is that the plot of the movie like the actual phenomena of them is kind of like like not really critical <laughs> you know it's like it it's not necessary to have e- even the plot it's like the plot fills it out because it it gives structure to a movie, but even at the end, like at the end of the movie, and I'll just like jump straight to the end here. It's like he's just like they're like so like what really happened? And he's and he was like, well, my numbers were off, or I, I miscalculated. So he doesn't even know, and he doesn't ex- and he doesn't admit that he doesn't know. He's just like, well, I miscalculated because the whole movie is them trying to figure it out, and particularly the one character, John, where he's doing calculations he's trying to be like science guy proper yeah. on it yeah yeah like we're trying to do it and then at the end he's like well my calculations were off <laughs> you know and but that is his way of, they like the, the like um so it's there's it's kind of like intertwined there's a documentary being made about the action but the movie is also just their experience of it happening in real time yeah it's sort of cut between like this and there's a bit of a reveal like partway into the movie where you discover like oh this is 
some of this is reenactments and some of this is right like interviews with the people making the movie and then some of it is is like the actual events right before but the entire thing is artificial none yeah, of this yeah, is yeah, a real yeah. documentary but the documentarian anything, but, was like um yeah in the interview with John one, one of the characters who experienced uh, one of two characters who like experienced this real paranormal event the documentarian was like well you know what is this what what is this even about and he's like well i don't know <laughs> you know so they like they they literally ask in the film what yeah. was this movie about and, the, and he's like well we don't know <laughs> you know we don't know you know yeah so uh, it's kind of fun um, yeah i don't know <laughs> yeah and it's also like a really humorous movie so it's kind of like i love that uh, it doesn't have to take itself so serious no i really liked that it it um it does have a good i mean i really like these uh, what is it? Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead, I think are their names or Justin Moorhead and Aaron Benson. It's Benson and Moorhead are their last names. And they made a movie called The Endless from like 2016 or 17 or something like that, which I thought was really, really good. And like, like I remember my watching that with my wife and her being like, this is what, this is what people need to do. Like, this is how you make make shit with not too much money, but all the money goes into exactly the right things. And, you know, one or two locations, a handful of people. And and this movie is very clearly like a lockdown movie. And I, I did look this up that it, it was filmed in like summer 2020 and the apartment in it, it's, it's where one of them lives. And so it's clearly like, yeah, there's two characters <laughs> and one, basically one location and so you could have filmed this summer 2020 without any trouble. Um, yeah. Yeah, they had like a, a crew of 12. Yeah. Yeah. Which I think, I was wondering if that included the like three or four like talking head people who appear. Yeah. But even if it didn't, it's like, okay, so then there's like 15 people. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Yeah. You know, making the entire thing. Um, when When normally a film... You know, like not independent films, but a, a film has like thousands of people. I mean, yeah, even an independent movie, hundred, couple yeah. hundred. Yeah, you know, right. Especially if we're adding in like, yeah, just all the other, especially if we're adding on fucking VFX people and all the the post yeah. stuff. Like sometimes you watch the credits of like some some big budget Marvel thing and it's just like animators and just scrolling yeah. forever. All these people. Right, um, right. yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I really liked, so I really liked The Endless and they made another movie called Syn Synchronic, I think, which I didn't love. And I think part of why I didn't love it is because they're not in it. Oh, yeah. I actually really like them as actors. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I only saw The Endless and then, you know, this one, Something in the Dirt. Um, but yeah, they have like a genuine kind of like ability to play off each other, you know? Yeah, they feel really like, they they feel like in a really good way, they don't feel like actors. Yeah. You know, you you don't get the sense, and I, I, I don't get the sense that they would be terribly versatile actors. Yeah, right. Like I, I kind of get the feeling that this is, this and the endless is probably their wheelhouse as far as performers go, but that they yeah. play, their entire thing I think between those two movies is like, these are people who play to their strengths. Yeah, I was going to say that too. I mean, I did, like, I did get the sense, like, in the, in this movie in particular, where it was like, I could kind of sense a bit of acting, you know? Like, they're not like, 
crazy Shakespearean theater, <laughs> you know, actors, you know, or whatever. But um, but they did. They played the characters really well, and like the roles were really convincing. And there was it's very different. It, it is pretty different characters, I think, from the Endless. Yeah. Um, and the Endless, they play like brothers. I think. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Um, which is interesting because they do have that obvious like chemistry between. They them. sort of have There's, a brother like, vibe. In, yeah, in right. general. Um, right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I really like their... I mean, then, yeah, add it like what you said about the humor and um, that it's this... I mean, The Endless was much... The Endless was more serious. The Endless was more of a, like, cosmic horror cults and Lovecrafty stuff and time loops and, and it was more serious. Yeah. And this has a much lighter tone in a lot of ways, but still is, you know, still has heaviness, still... Um, I mean, certainly what happens to, what is it, Levi? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's pretty horrific. Yeah. <laughs> Floating off into space yeah. and then crashing in the desert. Yeah, yeah. Is, you know, that's pretty it's awful. Pretty brutal. Um, yeah, I guess I got more of like a kind of like a sci-fi sense from this. Um, because it is like, like it, it's more like challenging the mechanisms of our world, you know? the paranormal thing that happened was tied to like physics. Yeah. You know, uh, light waves, vibrations, um, gravity, these kind of things, you know, where it like, so it wasn't as much like a horror of being in a scenario or a horror of experiencing something, you know? Yeah. But I mean, yeah, definitely sucks to fall (laughs) from the sky. (laughs) Well, and even, I mean, I like this. This it's 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 a common enough thing in in horror of several types. The the that question of like, is this basically is it real or is this happening in the people's heads? Mm, Oh yeah, and and then also by real. I think maybe like a, another version of that is is we can get the question of like when we talk about real, do we mean that it's really paranormal or supernatural, or do we mean it's really something? I mean, like the thing you get on like ghost hunting shows where they're like, okay, so we're at the old mill, and we talk to the neighborhood people who all said that like, oh, they hung a man in the mill and his ghost is banging on the walls to this day. And he's okay. <laughs> so we think it might be the dead guy in the mill, but we also have like a stud to test stud finder from Home Depot. <laughs> and we have a temperature thing and we have an infrared camera and we have an Xbox. We have a connect camera. And so it also might be like high levels of EMF making your brain go weird. Or it yeah. might be, it's like you get these shows where they're like, it might be one of 10 things. Yeah. And, and two or three of those things might be, you know, paranormal and the other ones could just be some sort of misunderstood uh, normal thing. Right. And yeah. so I feel like then when we're talking about the, this thing in horror, the like turn of the screw thing of is it real or or is it all in the person's head? Within what we're calling real, there's the question of do we mean really paranormal or do we mean real but it's an EMF? Yeah. And what I like in this in this movie and something in the dirt is that it's like it does that thing of hey, is this real or are we crazy? Well, no, both of us are seeing it, so it does seem to be real. And actually, it does seem to be having effects on 
like our neighbors and the house down the street, yeah. like it's affecting the neighborhood. So then it starts to seem like, okay, so it is real, but it's really scientific. It's an EMF thing. It's a gravity thing. It's a sound wave. It's, it's all this, the, the theories they have for how it is like uh, scientifically oriented. Yeah. But then the dude does float into the upper atmosphere. <laughs> Right. And he's the only yeah. thing that floats into the, it's not like the whole house. It's not like all of Los Angeles. It's like right. one guy. This thing happens to one dude and he crashes in a yeah. significant spot. So you start to get that thing of like, even when we say, okay, it's, it's real and it's really scientific. There's a little bit of like the rub that's like, yeah, but <laughs> that doesn't quite check yeah. out. Right, which is so. I, that, that's really interesting because I was thinking about. Um, so in the movie, to go along with what's real or what's you know not real, the footage they actually caught. So they like caught the footage of this strange phenomena on you know on camera, um, but then he fried the hard drives. <laughs> You know, so then they had to recreate the footage fictitiously, or not like they had to just dramatize the footage and do it again. So we really don't know if that was real then. So then I'm trying to think, like, oh, did he really lose gravity, or was that another dramatization? Yeah, of events after the fact. And then does that mean that John was really truly a sociopath and dropped him out of a plane or something? Right, just murdered <laughs> you know, him like, in the desert. Just murdered him straight up, you know? Um, and then somehow just didn't get caught? Like, yeah. You know, um, and then was there actually zero, uh, zero paranormal activity actually happening? Right, was it just um, two guys playing off of each other, yeah. you know, driving each other into more and more wild areas until one of them snapped and killed the other one. Yeah. Was it originally like an Andy Kaufman kind of <laughs> yeah. thing, you know, that they both agreed upon, but then one, you know, sort of betrayed him for, for more fame or for his own vision? You know, because in the movie too, John's always putting down uh, Levi's ideas. Yeah. Basically like, no, you can't have it. You can't have it. Like, mm, that's not a good one. That's not, the only time he allows it to him is when he's trying to manipulating him into calming him down or getting his own way, right? So, you if if everything was fictional and they were both in on it in Andy Kaufman style, but then somehow you know John did kill Levi by dropping him out of a plane, or yeah, you know, which is the only way I could think of how he could actually throw his body from a high distance, you know? Yeah. Um, but then it's because it ultimately allows him to get his way creatively. Yeah. Um, which even becomes more interesting when the filmmaker is like, wait, so, but what, it, you like, you're very sure about your vision. What does it mean? And he's like, oh, my calculations were off <laughs> or something. You know, it's like he can't see, he's like obsessed with his own vision of it happening. That makes it like a whole different kind of absurd in the mind absurd with this character, you know? Um, which I thought was interesting for, for me. I don't know, being an outsider living in Los Angeles, this is definitely like a Los Angeles movie. It really is. You know, um, yeah. Being from, I mean, what I, okay, I live in Canada, but I, I'm from LA. I lived there for 32 years. So I, I do often when I, I mean, lots of movies are like, obviously lots of movies are shot in LA, but um, ones that actually capture some kind of feeling 
yeah. of the place. I always kind of keep an eye out for those, and this is definitely one of them. Yeah. I, I think, at least. Yeah, I always had... Uh, so I, I'm, I only lived in L.A. for like six years, I think, or so. But I definitely, like, there is, like, I definitely caught some kind of, like, sense of, like, how the city runs and it runs off these types of creative people, you know. Um, and being a transplant in particular, like, I don't know, like, you grew up in L.A. You were, like, born there, right? I was born there, and a, and a good amount of, like, the there are some scenes of like in the movie of John going around at night and finding the mysterious symbol and most of those are in the neighborhood where I grew up. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, nice. It's like that's the movie theater where I first saw several movies. That's the you know Masonic Lodge I would walk by going to you know school and like it's all kinds of places. Yeah. Um, right. That, totally. Yeah. Um, but like so what, uh, like the sense that I got as a transplant to L.A. was this like urgency to find yourself in the city that I'm not sure if like natives to LA have it the same way. But when you're a transplant, it's like, oh, you've you've uprooted your life to go to this place. So now you have to find a meaning, you know? And these two characters are really trying to find themselves. Like Levi is this kind of bartender, kind of washed up dude. He's had a hard run of luck. Uh, but a bit of like a Peter Pan, like he's always in like, you know, the skate shoes and the board shorts and like, yeah. even though you're like, that guy's like 40, but he's got sort of this like yeah. a bit of a teenage vibe. Yeah. And he's like a genuinely sweet dude, it seems like, and the movie is funny because they were like, they're trying to, to make it mysterious. At one point they're like, this dude has a criminal record, you know, and he actually has a, he's like a sex offender. And you're like, oh, there's going to be something really bad about this guy. He's going to come out to be some kind of like psycho. Yeah, he's actually the dark one. And yeah. Yeah, yeah. And then you find out it was just like, he's just this, like, he just, he pissed on the wall of a, like a daycare center or something. A closed <laughs> like, daycare. That wasn't closed even daycare. open. And that's, yeah, yeah. And that's how he, that's how he got the sex offender. Like, and I remember finding that out because like when I was a you know, teenager and stuff, I would, um, you know, I was I used to be big in skateboarding, and so you'd 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 sneak into various properties and and things like that. And I remember years later finding out, you know, that yeah, if you like pee on a school as an adult, that's that like gets you on the sex offender list. Yeah, wow. And I was like, damn, I'm really glad I stopped uh, breaking into schools to skateboard before I turned eighteen. <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! Right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I, yeah, that's a, that's a funny one. So, like, but his character seems to be, like, you know, pretty okay. Um, he's the good one of the two. He's like, the good one. He's, yeah, he's the one you'd want to hang with, and yeah, even though he's got clearly got some problems, you feel very sympathetic, right, right, towards him. Yeah, where John John exhibits this kind of thing that kind of frightened me about LA as a transplant, where it was like, okay, like there's a like a f- ferociousness to uh, becoming important, you know, like, oh, I have to become important and almost in in any way possible, even if it means kind of hurting people, even if it means sort of destroying this other person, you know, which I, not to say that everyone who, who like goes to LA is just that cutthroat, <laughs> you know, no. but I, I just remember, I remember being at CalArts and I remember one of the, 
one like another student I, I forgot who it was and obviously I wouldn't say their name but like uh they were just like talking about an, a, a third student who was like no nah, I'm not it's not my thing and then left the city and and he was just like oh I remember this you remember that yeah yeah and, and it was just like he was just like really cutting into him like they just gave up they gave up before they ever ever could do it you know and I was like man that's really presumptuous of like that person's journey you don't know that you yeah. know but like I, maybe it was a thing with transplants where it was like this person gave up they came here to to make it in the industry and stuff and then they gave up and and i that always kind of haunted me a little bit you know oh yeah because i don't know it's like it's not the vibe for everyone you know no uh, and that is a particularly weird thing i think to deal or eh, maybe not deal with that that's a thing that you encounter as like a somebody born there. Yeah. Where, you know, like for, for me, you know, for me, LA is just where I'm from. And it's, it's just this weird thing where I'm like, I look at it as like, that's my hometown, but my hometown is like one of the biggest cities in the world. Yeah. (laughs) And it's like where all these people, it's a place that all these people dream about, um, that people all over the world think, think about and and people think it means certain things uh to them you know and uh and, and then you also find this in people who like hate it but have never been there <laughs> you know people who are like oh that's so fucking la and i'm like how much time have you spent in la and they're like i've never been there <laughs> it's like yeah wow you seem yeah. like you know something but you've never <laughs> and well that's yeah. why, like that's why I, I i do think that like transplants they have to either I mean, I'm using this word as if I like I it's not definitive to be, you know, you could have a very different experience than I did, you know, um going there. But you have to like spend time with the city and like it's like any city, you know, if you go to London or something, you have to spend time in the city and let it speak to you. And if it really speaks to you, then you you stay. Yeah. But being a transplant sometimes gets a sense of it's like a gold rush kind of thing. Mm. You know, like I came to find gold and to like make my fortune, you know. Yeah. And it's like if I fail that then all hope is lost and so there's like this weird this weird vibe that comes out sometimes with those kinds of people. I mean, one of the things I like, one of the things I will say like very much in support of at least my experience of of LA and and all that, and I think this is something I've noticed more since uh, leaving. Is that I kind of like that because it's such a big place and it is such a like perennial destination for people trying to make it, not just in Hollywood, but as musicians, as models, as. Uh, video game designers, as authors, as porn stars, as athletes, as like the, every career basically yeah. that you might want to go down, there's a good chance that you can say to yourself, well, if I went to LA, I'd have a better chance of of uh, making that dream a reality. Yeah. So one of the things I, I kind of think is good is that because it's so big and it's such a, it's so consistently that thing has that meaning for people, it's very hard to have like a locals, like a locals only vibe mm-hmm. with any seriousness. Oh, right. Yeah. Because it's like, <laughs> what do you mean locals only? You know, like, yeah. Especially because even, you know, I'm, so I was born there. And, and when I think about, obviously, most of the kids I grew up with going to school and stuff, 
pretty much all of them were also, you know, born in the same hospital as me, you know, that, that kind of thing. But I think basically none of our parents were from LA. Oh, yeah. You know, so my dad is from Germany and my mom is from Chicago. And most of my friends, I'm like, your parents were from Argentina. Your parents were from Japan. Your parents were from Cincinnati. Your parents were from, yeah. you know, Paris, wherever. Like that, and they, so even if it's not us, the kids who moved to LA to be musicians or actors, our parents probably did. <laughs> um, yeah, right. And so I think that that softens the sense that you get in smaller places. And this is what I mean mm. where I think I've noticed this yeah. more since leaving LA is that in a smaller place, you get a more serious like locals transplants type division. Yeah. And I really don't like that. Um, Yeah. Because it's- Nanaimo. (laughs) Like Nanaimo, (laughs) where I used to live. Um, Shout out Nanaimo, fuck you. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Victoria's great though. Um, Yeah. No, but that, you know, you, I don't like that, but both because it feels like, I think a little bit like what you're saying, you know, that not all- not all transplants are the same. You know, not all people, even if everybody were saying, oh, these are all the people who moved to LA for trying to make it in in music, it's like, that's still reducing people to such a narrow thing mm. that it feels really un, unfair. And if, if you're intentionally being unfair, like you're being an actual, you're just being an asshole and saying like, locals only, bro, then like, all right, well, you're being an asshole. Yeah. But um, then I also think it, you know, of course, because it, I think it's a real slippery slope from like locals only into just like xenophobia and racism. <laughs> and like, yeah, right. You know, yeah. locals, yeah. we're, we're from here and these people aren't from here. And uh, I don't, that's a collar, collar yeah. pulling kind of like, I don't want to be a part of this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think with me also, it's the nature of like the public eye. Like cities are going to have different industries. And so you're going to get people that go to, you know, a certain city because of an industry or something like that. Uh, but Los Angeles seems to have the most visible, the mo- the industries that are like seem to be the most visible in the public eye, you know. Uh, uh, and I think that's sometimes where I like I got the sense that people were, you know, that gold rush sense that they were going towards the public eye. But it, I I do see it that like from your perspective does seem cool to me where it's like, yeah, we didn't have this. It was a, it was like a legit melting pot of of people, you know. Yeah, I, I think it cool. is. Yeah. I, I don't want to sound yeah. like I'm I'm too like blue sky about this because I know there's plenty of darkness still and oh yeah and all that. But I really did feel like it was a convincing, um, convincingly sort of multicultural. You know, everyone is everyone is a transplant within a generation or two. Kind of, yeah, yeah. Maybe you're, maybe yeah. I'm not, but my parents were. Maybe your parents were. Right. I remember I had one friend whose mom like went to the high school at like the bottom of the street that they lived in, and it was like the weirdest thing to be like, <laughs> your mom is from here. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah. Wait, what was like Mrs. Whatever? You know what? What was the what was this place like in the sixties? <laughs> yeah. Was it all orange groves? Yeah. Right. Because I think that's the other part about that makes this, this is LA, but I mean, this is this kind of California and in a lot of ways, like the the West Coast in general, because like Vancouver's an extremely young city too. But um, that it's also like, I, I think part of the thing that can defeat the local, the the deeply entrenched like locals vibe is the feeling that like, 
this city actually hasn't existed for very long. Yeah. You know, so LA became a city officially in, I want to say like 18, I want to say 1875. That's not right, but it's somewhere around there. Yeah, wow. Yeah. And and that was, when you look at like, what was that city of Los Angeles? It was like five blocks. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and so you're like, as far as it actually being this, the, anything like what we think of it now as, as this beacon for all the world's artists and creative people and business people to come, it's like, that's after the Second World War. Yeah. Where that really starts to, you know, I mean, the beginnings of the film industry, but that's really like a post-war thing where it starts being like, okay, all fucking, you know, cylinders firing, LA, West Coast Mecca, and you contrast that with like London. Yeah. You know, which has been a city for 2000 years. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, has been a human settlement for longer than that. But you know what? The, the Roman city of Londinium would, was somewhere in the neighborhood of 2000 years old. Yeah. And has been a consistent, you know, a significant location for that whole time. Right. So you could there have somebody, even if you, know, you could get the thing like, I'm from London and my parents and grandparents and you could conceivably go back hundreds and hundreds of years, you know, we're all from here. But even if you said, oh, well, my, you know, my, I'm not from here, my family isn't from here or something, the city has been there mm. that whole time. Whereas in LA, you know, the joke, I remember talking to somebody at CalArts sitting on that balcony outside the music building and them talking about uh, some new like mall complex that was getting built. And they're like, oh, they're building that mall on the, I like that hillside or something. And I was like, I'm, I'm like 22 years old, but I remember when the other mall was like an apricot grove. Mm. You know, like I'm literally yeah. saying, I remember when it was all fields around here. Yeah, yeah. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You know, so you get stuff like that where it, that makes it really hard to, with a straight face, say locals only. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, this mini mall is my life. And yeah. It's only 20 years old, but it's where my whole life happened. It's like, you got to have some sense of humor about that. Yeah. No, most definitely. Most definitely. I, I think I, I, I brought up the, the transplant idea because of these two characters in Something in the Dirt. Um, where like Levi is particularly like disheartened about the city and him being a part of the city. And he's like, I want to get out. I'm going to get out, you know, I'm going to leave. And, but John is like more like, no, I'm going to utilize this kind of energy and I'm going to like capitalize on it. Um, and then this is, this is not necessarily just LA. This is, was especially with the internet now, you know, um, but I really liked the part in the beginning of the movie where they're like, what is the value of the paranormal? <laughs> like they they actually take a moment to try and decide wait, what is it, where is the value in this? You know, which is kind of hilarious because it misses the like, if you have like this wild spiritual experience, you know, it transcends materiality, it transcends the value of money and anything like that. But their first reaction was like, wait, how do I, how do we capitalize on this? You know? Yeah. They're like, do we do a podcast? Do we yeah. do a YouTube thing? Do we, how much does Netflix pay for these? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I, I thought that was, that was funny. It's that the fact that both the characters did it too was kind of funny. Um, Cause I guess sometimes like, you know, um, 
you know, materiality is a part of the world. It's not. It's an undeniable part of the world, and it's an undeniable part of it, of your experience of the world. You know, you experience the material world. You experience money. So it's like, um, you know, people thinking about the spiritual experience or something being divorced from wealth or money or any of these things. You know, uh, not necessarily. Like to be in a band, you know, sometimes it's kind of like to have a character that's like wait, how do we work this into, how do we actually get paid? You know, it can be sometimes good. It's like a good balance. As long as it's not, it's not all one thing, you know, it's not all, all spiritual and then it just floats away. Or if it's all money, then it's just, it has zero, you know, it never gets off it. the ground. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. There's always, it's, it's nice to have the balance with that. Yeah. I mean, that's where I feel like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not at all saying that like, you know, don't make money off of art or anything like that, but that, (laughs) that it's more sometimes when you have those, those experiences where it feels like, oh, this was only about the, the, I mean, with, with the type of music I've always made, it's never been about the money because there's no money. <laughs> because, right. you know, I remember yeah. thinking, I remember thinking, I'm going to out Henry Kaiser here for a second, experimental guitarist Henry Kaiser, um, 75-year-old man, Henry Kaiser. No, but, you know, wondering, like, you, you, you look at that dude and you're like, that dude, that dude plays weird fucking guitar for, in all kinds of places, releases all these albums that seem to be known by, like, a small handful of people, like, how does how does that dude do it? Like, how, how has he made that work for you know forty, fifty years of a career? And you're like, oh, he's he's an heir to a <laughs> to a fortune. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, he has a trust fund. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And so for the it's it's that's often a thing is in like experimental music is you look around at the person who's super successful and you're like, man, how did they do that? And they're like, oh, they had money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because there's no money in this. <laughs> oh, what was I was just talking to I think it was like James brought it up like talking about someone, you know, being born as an heir is now become like becomes a skateboard artist. <laughs> like they just skateboard and that that becomes their art form, you know. Yeah. And it's like, well, yeah. Yeah. No, totally, <laughs> totally. Yeah. But yes, it's only it's only a it's only ever a bummer when it feels like the sort of material aspect is more important than, uh, I know I sent it to you and I referenced it in the like mini episode I made the other night, but that, that book about metal, that history of metal. Yeah. There's a chapter in it where he talks about, um, you know, glam metal and like poison and, uh, Motley Crue and all that stuff. And he talks about, and he's very, very critical of it. Uh, as he should be, um, but talks about how like in, in one of the Guns N' Roses biography is they're like, yeah, when we met Vince Neil, we were like, this guy can't sing and none of us like him, but <laughs> he looks like a rock star. Yeah. So we yeah. should hire him. Yeah. And that, you know, the Andrew Neil's kind of like, if that's what's happening when you're starting your band where you're like, this guy can't play and we don't like him. Yeah. That is setting the stage for what your band will be. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that yeah. you're a bunch of guys who don't actually care about music. You care about girls and drugs and money. Yeah. And there's nothing inherently wrong with caring about girls and drugs and money. But if you're the one guy, if you showed up, if you were the one member of Motley Crue who really did care about the music, <laughs> luckily none of them do. But if you were the one guy who was like, this is my, my soul. Yeah. 
you would probably be pretty bummed <laughs> when Vince Neil got <laughs> got invited to join the band. Yeah, right. <laughs> like, <laughs> but that, yeah, there's something interesting. Like, so also that like this ties into the movie here. The the packaging of a thing, you know, because like at the very end of this movie, they say this movie is dedicated to making movies, you know? So it's clearly like the act of making a thing, you know, like it, because of it being in COVID too, like um, there was obvious, a ton of, obviously a ton of restrictions on how to do stuff. And they were like, we're still going to make a movie. Um, and this is dedicated to, you know, the joy and the love of making a movie with your friends. Oh, I think it literally says to making a movie with your friends. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I really like that. Um, I did too. Yeah. 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 I mean, it keeps it keeps in with the lightheartedness of, like, the humor of the movie mm-hmm. and stuff, you know. So I, I was thinking about like Motley Crue, you know, like making an object. They're just they're just packaging themselves to be this specific, you know, thing. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, no, it's 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 like this movie, the act of just like creating and just like let's just go for it, kind of thing is really nice. I do have a question. I, I'm, okay. I'm kind of curious. Like, what did you think about the smoking? <laughs> like, is a lot there, of is smoking. There any, there's just like, there's a hilarious amount of smoking. And I, I'm like, I think it's just humor. Mm-hmm. Like, let's just smoke a ridiculous amount of cigarettes because every scene basically has a cigarette. In it. <laughs> yeah. And there's a good amount of shots of like offering the pack to the other yeah. guy or seeing yeah. the pack. And the ashtray on the, I mean, that's how they meet. You know, the Levi goes downstairs into the, into the courtyard to see, cause he sees John smoking and is like, Hey man, I'm out of cigarettes. Can I bum one? Yeah. And so it's almost like this, none of this would have happened if you guys weren't inveterate nicotine addicts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. That's the actual yeah. connection. <laughs> right. Right. And the, and the actual, like the, like, um, the like quartz dish that he has is they use as an ashtray. Yeah. He brings it down in it, but it's like, it kind of looks like an ashtray in, in some ways. It does look like somebody's weird seventies, like antique shop ashtray thing. Yeah. Like, yeah. So like smoking is a critical part of this movie for some It is. <laughs> <laughs> I guess drinking too, but not to the same sort of comical. No. Yeah. No, not to that. Like, because there is a bunch of. I mean, I like. There's the line where, like, after they have their really serious fight about, you know, you're a sociopath who doesn't care about anybody, and well, you're just an adult baby who never who dresses like a child. You know that whole thing. Yeah. And then John yeah. is like, you know, hey, hey, man, let's let's just get to sleep, and you know, oh, by one more thing, like, yeah, can I have another beer so I can go to sleep? It's like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, yeah, that was funny. Yeah. You think it's going to be like, hey, man, I'm sorry, I lashed out too much. It's like, let me get another beer. <laughs> Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. It was also kind of funny because he, you saw him kind of turn the corner and then he turns like, he's going to say something heartfelt, but then he turns back, but then he turns again and he comes out and he's like, oh, he, he's going to say it. And then it is like, can I have another beer? Yeah. yeah. That's pretty good. I thought that was very funny. I did, I noticed this because like, yeah, I watched this maybe, I don't know, a month or two, not that long ago. Um I watched it and then thought like, oh, we should do an episode about this. And so then I watched it again in preparation for this. And 
noticed the coyote stuff. Oh yeah. Which is like your coyote oh, stuff. Oh dude, yeah, coyotes are like significant to me now because of yeah. because of that, which you know, was a Los Angeles thing too, you know. I did think it was funny that the 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 squirrel that they that John tells Levi to watch out for oh, is yeah. Hungry Dave. <laughs> And then oh, later okay. they say like it's better to be accurate than quick or something. Oh, the, the wider, oh yeah, what was it? It's so better. both of our names are yeah, oh yeah, nice. The Wyatt Earp quote was actually really cool. So it's like speed is speed is fine, but accuracy is final. That's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that's a yeah. good one. Yeah, that was yeah. a super sick quote. Um, but I did think it was funny. Like, oh, both of our names are. This is a movie with two people in it, and, <laughs> yeah. and both of our names are. Uh, you know, referenced as and I'm a hungry squirrel. <laughs> I'm a dangerous hungry squirrel. Yeah, I got chased one time through Grant Park in Chicago by, by squirrels. squirrels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I was like, I was just watching it, and it was coming, and it just kept coming closer. And I was like, this squirrel's coming at me. And then I started moving back, and it kept coming at me. And I was like, what the fuck? So I started running, and the squirrel started running towards me. <laughs> It was hungry. It was hungry. It man. was hungry, Dave. <laughs> hungry, Dave, dude. Well, maybe the squirrel actually. <laughs> what you're admitting here is that that squirrel ate you <laughs> and absorbed your power. Oh, nice. And that for this whole time, you have actually been hungry, Dave, <laughs> the the man squirrel. <laughs> like at night, um, I think I'm dreaming about being in the forest and scurrying around trees, but I am actually. I actually like. You're like a were squirrel. <laughs> a were squirrel. <You're> like, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I thought that that was funny when I was watching it that, you know, he mentioned that uh, Levi mentions really, you know, like at two points, you know, uh, these coyotes and that then, and the coyotes as like a symbol of, you know, the magic of LA. Yeah. And I thought that was like, that's exactly what you said in yeah, like, that was the Ninth like, Gate episode, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a significant, like, magical moment for me. Even though, it, even though it was really me just being like kind of stressed out about a show and really high. <laughs> <laughs> but it was just in it was just in that moment when you start getting like you start shifting your mindset towards thinking about these things differently, and just the idea of shifting your mind, however small it is, makes everything else seem significant. You know? Yeah. Like if I wasn't into magic or I wasn't into that stuff, I would just be stressed and high, <laughs> and be like, "Whoa, weird coyotes," you know? Or yeah. I, I, who knows? And then always the question comes up of like magical synchronicities. Like, were these coyotes a part? Were they like significant? Is it like a symbol? You know? Like, yeah. Were they given to me in some way? I don't know. Like, um, yeah. I mean, that's where this this that's like a perfect segue into one of the other things that I thought was that I thought about a lot, um, particularly when I first watched this movie, uh, which was the paranormal documentary series, Hellier. Oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Which I know, I know we've talked about, a, a, or I at least know you've also seen, yeah. um, but seems to have been a pretty, a pretty popular thing for kind of everybody in, in the zone of, uh, you know, weird paranormal magical type stuff. Um, yeah, that I, I was kind of thinking when I was watching this the first time that I was like, oh, this is sort of what the hell your people did. Yeah. <laughs> um, but this is just like a sort of, this is like, this is like a sort of cynical, critical view of what the hell your people did. Yeah. 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 No, t totally. I thought the same thing watching it 
this time because I I only watched it this this is the first time I've seen it, um, and I was I thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, this kind of reminds me of Hellier, and like, and that they're making connections in all of these different ways, you know? Yeah, because that's like one of the things. One, of, it's it's a I think it's a couple different segments. Like, it's not actually just one long montage, but there are these moments in something in the dirt where they're like these sort of montages of their different theories. You know, where, where yeah. they're like, okay, so the Pythagoreans had this and then that yeah. ties it. And I was listening to a podcast and what podcast was it? Don't worry about it. And, you know, these <laughs> yeah. sort of things where they're talking about maybe it's this and maybe that connects to that. And I'm like, that's what Hellier is. <laughs> that's yeah. like exactly yeah. what Hellier is. And I know I've heard, um, I mean, I've I've encountered the idea from some people that, you know, Hellier is people who couldn't watch the series who got like an episode in or whatever and was like, this is that, like this is what QAnon people do. Yeah. You know, like they're just making connections between shit. Like this is what's wrong with our world and blah, blah, blah. And it, it's kind of like, okay, I mean, fair. Like I get why you're saying that. Like, yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong to see that, but it really isn't that. Yeah. Like it absolutely is not that. Um, but I see, I can see how it both looks like that, but also how it could, yeah. it is like in constant danger of becoming that. Right. And so I feel like something in the dirt doesn't go full, like in, in the good angle, they never fully commit to what the phenomenon is. They never fully say, okay, we figured it out. This is what it is. Or we have our grand theory and this is how everything connects and it is verifiable and we're all in on it. There's always like an agnosticism and down to the part, yeah. the part you've singled out like at the end of, you know, I don't know. Yeah. What it, what does it all mean? I don't know. Or yeah. what happened? I, I miscalculated some stuff. Right. And, and I feel like that's sort of the good way to engage with this stuff is to not take it so literally. But, but also something in the dirt does make fun of the... I, I I didn't look I didn't find anything about this, but part of me feels like Hellier season two came out in like February 2020. It was like a phenomenon for people. This movie gets made a couple months later. I think they watched Hellier. Oh, you think so? Yeah. And were like, prob I the sense I get is that they were like, this is a really good series, but also we should make fun of these people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. I think yeah. down to one of the things that I've heard other people talk about this too, but one of the things that's that made me that I noticed about Hellier like right away um is like the color matching and like how well shot and assembled it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. That like so many uh paranormal documentary things like look like crap. Yeah. In terms absolutely. of yeah. the color balancing or shot composition or things like that. And when watching Hellier, I was like, oh man, whoever filmed this like really knows what they're doing. Yeah. And something in the dirt kind of looks like Hellier. Yeah. In shot composition, lighting, color saturation. Yeah. Like it looks like that Carl Pfeiffer Hellier look. What? Oh, that's interesting. So they may have even taken a cue from that. Um, but those dudes, the, uh, you know, the, the something in the bar, uh, something in the bark, something in the dirt, dudes. Something in the bark, because you're a squirrel. <laughs> and it's you're all connected, thinking about man. the bark of the trees, man. <laughs> or something in the bark, because coyotes are dogs and dogs bark, dude. And they're telling you a message, man. There's something in that bark. <laughs> dude. 
<laughs> well, yeah. Well, that brings me to this other point I was going to say about the like conspiracy theory connection thing is essentially like this movie also, so it takes the hellier connection thing that they're talking about, but also it's like COVID. So it's the height of conspiracy theory. Like, oh, every everything is out to get you. The COVID was manufactured by some nefarious, you know, force. You know, uh, vaccinations are nefarious in their own way, you know. And like even before that, we get like political thing because of social media, we get these like great divides of theories on either side because of like basically computer algorithms that haven't matured yet and corral people into these like dogmatic ways of thinking you know and so like all of this stuff is happening so i have to i have to assume that the something in the dirt dudes are also talking about that stuff you know um but to the point of like and hellier uh like the idea of making connections there always are connections and that's sort of like a, a kabbalah thing right you you can connect everything together and that's the point when you do that you realize that everything is connected and you can use that as a tool for like you know transformation and transcendence or you know whatnot you know but if you use it as a tool for fear then it becomes conspiracy theory in the QAnon Pizzagate kind of vibe, you know? Yeah, exactly. So it's one and the same, but like, I always I always joke that like, the most popular Kabbalistic game is, is Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, you know? Because you can connect Kevin Bacon to anything in the world. <laughs> That's true, yeah. You know, it's, it's so everything is connected, you know? And if you, you know, and so if, if you were afraid of that for some reason you'd be like well it's clear that kevin bacon is connected to the illuminati you know which are trying to basically brainwash us <laughs> like and then you're you know, like well actually kevin bacon was in whatever thing with jim broadbent who was in the stage production of illuminatus by robert anton wilson which popularized the theory <laughs> of the illuminati so yeah he's in the illuminati <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know and you're like right shit <laughs> yeah right and then you're like oh fuck everything is like terrifying and yeah. evil and uh but like and this also goes back to what like your point with the Kenneth Grant of of HP Lovecraft versus Crowley kind of thing tapping into something out of a state of like panic and fear versus tapping into it in like a sort of transcendental kind of vibe you know you can take 6 degrees of Kevin Bacon you can either connect him to you know evil or you can connect him to like God and love or whatever your word for that is. You yeah. Know? Like it's all possible. Well, it, I remember uh, there was some, I remember there was some, it was like, I still lived in LA and you had come, you had moved away, but you had come back for like a show or so you were like in town. And while you were in town, you went to some thing at the OTO lodge. Oh yeah. In La Crescenta. And I remember I picked you up from there because you didn't have a car and we went to the the watershed over there and we like walked around nice yeah for a while and i i want to say that the that you were talking about you were saying something about like somebody at the oto lodge or like something that had come up in whatever it is that you were you were there for where somebody was like making fun of the idea that like oh so and so thinks that they have communication with a divine source and and that's so silly like you know what you think god's talking to you or whatever and that in contrast to that 
what we ended up talking about was the idea that maybe God is talking to you all the time mm. and that this is actually extremely common. Yeah. <laughs> that rather than the, that rather than the idea of getting a divine message being like something that only happens to one person every thousand years, that it's actually happening all the time, even to idiots. Yeah. Even to people who don't do anything with it, even to people. And so that sometimes those messages are like, keep on trucking brother. <laughs> You know, like, that those messages might not always be like, you're the prophet of a new eon. Yeah, right. That some of them might just be like, hey, dude, yeah. good looking out. Like, <laughs> you're like, you're a fucking idiot. Do better. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. or it might just be some essentially mundane thing. And that because this is so common, <laughs> we don't register it as being divine. Right. And that I think that there's something similar in like what you were just saying about, you know, the, uh, yes, everything is connected, that it's, it's like, yeah, everything, yeah. not just fucking the conspiracy that you find personally rewarding. Yeah. All of it. Yeah. You know, and that uh, in the, the the sort of general conspiratorial thinking, it's also always bound up with like chosen one shit. Yeah. But it's like the dark side of chosen one shit. You get the normal thing of you say, wow, I took, I did ayahuasca and, and the spirit told me that I'm special. Yeah. Yay, I'm so special. The whole world needs to know about how special I am. Yeah. That the, it's like the, um, the specifically like dark American <laughs> version of that yeah. is saying, I have seen the true horror. I have seen the true darkness that, you know, the Masons killed JFK because of, you know, the, the greening of America. It's, it's, a, it's the, the vegetal king to re, rebuild the nation after. And I'm the only one who knows about this. Yeah. And I have to tell people, oh no, I'm being hunted by, by agents of the government, by disinformation officers who are telling me what you saw was the planet Venus, not really a UFO because the UFO is the sea, like that it's this really dark paranoid version. Whoa. That was a motorcycle. Um, yeah. That's the disinfo in agents trying to silence me, man. <laughs> um, no, that it's, it's just, yeah. it's this really dark version, this really paranoid persecuted version of the chosen one thing. And the chosen one thing is already bad enough in its positive form. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, and right. I, I'll, I'll finish here, but just I got to put in as much heresy and whatever as I can that <laughs> this, it makes me think, so America's the most Christian nation in the world. And specifically by Christian, I mean like the horrible puritanical <laughs> Christianity. Yeah. That no, not even, we don't even get fucking... Uh, confession. It's all just horrible. So you have this this whole place that's built on you know Plymouth Rock and the Puritan Puritanical thing, and that religion is one in which uh, you one of the greatest glories you can suffer is martyrdom. Yeah. One of the best things that could happen to you is to tell people something that they don't like and then they kill you. (laughs) That that guarantees everything else that you've done that's fucked up. If somebody says, kill that guy and he says, they're doing it because I'm a Christian, then that dude goes to heaven. Yeah. And so when I look at conspiracy stuff, I see like this is puritanical martyrdom shit. Yeah. This is a person who's like, I'm at the center of unveiling, you know, telling the truth about the pizza parlor or whatever. Yeah. And when people tell me 
dude, you're crazy. It's just a fucking pizza parlor. I can say I am a martyr, just like the Christians falling to the Romans or whatever. Yeah. And that that's valorized. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. By that religion and then by the so-called secular country that is still absolutely a puritanical doomsday cult <laughs> scenario. Dude, dude, 100%. 100%. Like, which is also hilarious to me when, um, you know, the like satanic panic and, and the, always the argument behind that is like, oh, you got Satanists in the hills are sacrificing things. It's like Christianity is based upon human sacrifice. That's what <laughs> Jesus philosophy. is. Jason, Jesus is, a, he's the lamb of God, you know, and we, we sacrifice lambs in his honor. Like it's all, so you're just turning this thing that you are so like the cornerstone of your faith into a piece of fear and projecting it on someone else, you know? It's like, oh, come on, yeah. Yeah, so I always yeah. see that with with like this darker conspiracy thing is that it's 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 completely inextricably bound up with the Christian persecution boner thing. <laughs> You know, yeah, of like, right, totally. Yeah, I'm okay. So we're we're somehow we're like the second biggest religion in the world, and yet we still think we're persecuted. Yeah. Sorry, I'm going to phrase that so that I, I don't, I'm not including myself in it. They're the second biggest religion in the world, and somehow they <laughs> yeah. think, yeah, no, 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 we're persecuted. Remember when the the Romans did yeah. this or that? I'm like, well, dude. So <laughs> there's a really interesting theory out there, um, like that. Christianity. I just read a book on, I, I forgot which particular book it was, but I read it and it was like, it was basically the idea that Rome invented Christianity that be to like basically halt the Jew, the second Jewish uprising in Rome, because you had like Jews who were basically like uh, apocalyptic Jews who were saying like, oh, we, we believe in this thing we believe in this thing, you know, Rome is oppressing us in doing all this stuff. And then Rome was basically like, okay, we need to stop. We need to basically tame these people. Let's give them what they want. Let's create their religion. So they created Christ Christianity in order to fulfill the Jewish prophecies to be say like, yes, look, it came true. You know, now you follow this, but it was Roman led. <laughs> it's like a big Roman conspiracy, which is really interesting because in, uh, in I think it's in Romans, the in the New Testament Romans, uh, it's the Pauline uh, books of the Bible in the New Testament, where Paul basically writes like, "Give unto the Romans, like pay your taxes," and he literally writes like. The Romans are equivalent to God because they were appointed by God. So you need to obey them and you need to pay their taxes, you know? So there's this big theory that like, or there's this theory, uh, um, I don't know how big it is, but that Christianity is actually a fabricated Roman religion in order to basically uh, like quell these uprisings that were kept happening. Right, and like if we give these people a, uh, a fabricated Messiah, then they'll stop looking for the real one. Right, exactly. Something like that, like. It was, I, it was actually, I didn't know what to, it was like one of those things where Audible was like, here, read this. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, all right, word, this kind of like seems like up my alley. And then I, I read it and I was like, this is actually really, uh, really interesting. Like the the points were kind of interesting. I think it was called Inventing Christ. Okay. Um, yeah. Huh. Um, and there's like a, a, yeah, yeah, I'm not quoting it very well. <laughs> no, no, I think <laughs> but it, it makes check sense. It. 
Yeah, the theory itself is like really interesting, especially then you read the New Testament and you realize like, wait, there are strange things. And I so I got into, I, one of the things that I love to do um, is uh, getting into arguments with my brother-in-law, who's like a, like a born again Christian, like super, and it's just, I just really enjoy it. And my family laughs at me because they're always like, my brother's like, oh yeah, we all went outside to play basketball and I came in to get a glass of water and and you and you and your brother-in-law were arguing. You guys were just arguing. And then I went out and we had another game and I came back and you guys were still just <laughs> arguing. <laughs> and and so, so we just, we just argue and argue, but he's also a concern, like he came, he's not as concerned, like he is politically conservative. You know, so he was, he was, uh, you know, all about, uh, like, like, oh, the I can edit this all out. Democrats if don't want to have this on the show. But. No, we could. Yeah. I mean, like, no, I, I, he's never going to okay, listen cool, to this. So. <laughs> I'm kind of okay with it. Like, um, and nobody's going to find my brother-in-law, but, um, uh, you know, he, he, he was just like, you know, oh, the Democrats are trying to brainwash you. The Democrats are taking, like, doing all this stuff. We always have to fight with the Second Amendment. We have to have our guns to fight against authority. We got to make sure to fight against authority. And I was like, Dan, like, what about this passage in Romans, where it's like you have to obey those in charge? And Dan's like, well, you know, it's the Bible. Oh, I said his name. <laughs> we could believe a lot, that. A lot of people named. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, he was like. He's like, well, it's in the Bible. Got it. It's got to be true. <laughs> and I was just—I was almost taken so aback <laughs> by him being like, "Well, it's true." Yeah. And I was—I was—it like threw me off. I was like, "Wait, wait a sec." <laughs> yeah. really? I expected some resistance of some kind, but then—and <laughs> then even like my sister, who like shares some of those values, was like, "Wait, what?" <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and it was hilarious to me. Like, it's hilarious sometimes when those things get paired together. You know that like Christian values get paired with like political values. Oh yeah. Uh, like I know uh, and it 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 is a I think it I think it's it it's a it's a key part of the sort of dark conspiracy mindset is the 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 Christian aspect of it whether it's literally coming from like I'm a Christian and I also think that there's a sex ring under the pizza place or whatever, you know, but, or it's just in the culture at large because, you know, like I've said, like I've never been to a church service. I've, I'm unbaptized. I'm un, just was never a part of my life. Um, and I'm not anything else. I I wasn't, I'm not Jewish or Muslim or I, so I grew up completely without religion. And yet this stuff is still in the culture that I grew up with. Yeah. So even if, I I can I can never say like oh I oh I that was no part of my the world I grew up in it's like oh no it totally was yeah um I just got maybe less of it because I wasn't having somebody you know I I wasn't having my family tell me yes this is correct right totally. um or even going to schools where people said yes this is correct or whatever but it's still just in the in the way everything sort of functions <laughs> Yeah, it's in the basic philosophy of society. Yeah. Of of this particular society, like, you know. Yeah. Western American. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and so that's that's like the um uh, I did reference this in the extra episode I did last night, but I 
and I also referenced this to you just in our like offline correspondence or whatever, but that uh, uh, a party like 10 years ago where a, a certain person told me that I didn't know what I was talking about with horror and weird fiction because I mm. hadn't read Viraconium by M. John Harrison. And that, that, that at that same party, that same person also got into a big fight with another uh, acquaintance of ours about this subject of was conspiracy stuff always dark and far right wing and paranoid in that direction or did it used to be, you know, uh, lefty countercultural and it was, it's only in recent times that it's turned into this, um, into this direction. <laughs> so. Yeah, right. And, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I do think something has changed. I do think something in the last, you know, probably since 9-11, I guess, I do get the feeling that like, yeah, you know, I, I made, I referenced this a couple episodes ago that like some of the conspiracy stuff in like the X-Files doesn't feel fun anymore. Right. You yeah. know, because you start to think like if, if they made this show, now Mulder would be a villain. Yeah. You know, like we would hate Mulder. Right. Because he would be like, they're drinking adrenochrome yeah. below the pizza parlor. <laughs> like he, they would, there would be a fucking monster of the week episode. Right. That's Pizzagate. Yeah. If they did that show now. So it's like, I do feel like something has changed, but I also think that there's something fundamental to conspiratorial thinking that goes dark sort of by design. Yeah. Um, and that it's that in doing so, it's it's sort of the inverse of of I'm I'm special in a good way. Yeah. God talks to me. Yeah. I see angels. Yay. I'm William Blake or something like yeah. that. And then the dark version of that is I know who killed JFK and yeah. the government is hunting me. Right. Well, so I, I was reading a, I was reading an interesting book, like a Donald, a Ronald, Ronald Hutton. It's like, um, that sounds familiar. Blood, uh, Blood and mistletoe. It's about like the Druids. Oh, okay. Uh, and it, it was talking about the Druids being basically, um, everyone thinks when you hear Druid, you, you, your mind kind of goes towards like human sacrifice, <laughs> you know? Oh, they, they were like these ruthless pagans who killed, you know? And the way he explains it though, is like, we have very little evidence that that actually happened. You know, the, that it's, we have evidence that kind of suggests otherwise, it suggests that Caesar in his like conquest of lands had to somehow prove that conquering, uh, you know, the, these like the British Isles and stuff was worth it. Um, and so he had to make sure that people, you know, knew that they were a terrible people. So it's probably more likely that this idea was um, fabricated you know, in an almost quasi-conspiracy theory style in order to further his war efforts. So we do see that in history, and this, that's, that's plausible. That makes sense. In a political sense, people are trying to get something done. Even if they think that it's right, they might fib on it and create conspiracy theories, you know? This is an idea that's just, that's just occurring to me, and I'm, I'm both making fun of, I'm doing the, the, the Wook persona right now, but I also sort of mean this that, okay, so earlier in this episode, we talked about the 
etymology of inspire and inspiration being, you know, something breathing into you. The etymology of conspiracy is to conspire, which is to breathe together. Mm. What happens when two people breathe together to an extreme? Well, you suck all the fucking oxygen out of the room. (laughs) (laughs) Dude. Well, dude, uh, like I also always thought this, like to go back to the, the person who would like, was talking about like, no, there's only bad conspiracy theory. Well, then they can never gossip with another human being because that's conspiracy. You get If you get three people and one of them leaves and the other two decide to do something behind that a third person's back, it's a conspiracy. Or even if it's you're like, you know, don't invite Dave to the party. We don't want Dave at this party. Just don't let him know. Yeah. You know, that's a conspiracy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So it's not the insane thing of like, I think the brain goes towards, we want to think like, what is the worst possible thing to think about? And it's like, oh, it's killing children, right? Yeah. So it's like, so now you always get these conspiracy theories that are going towards the worst possible thing. Like Pizzagate is, oh, they're they're killing children to drink this chemical. To that stay gets them young high. forever. <laughs> yeah, to stay yeah. yeah or whatever. You know, it's like, that's so ridiculous, but it's because it's the most profoundly disturbing thing that we can think of. In that same book, he talks about like child sacrifice. Who was it directed towards in early Roman times? It was basically Christians and Jews. They were the child sacrificers, you know, because they were the minority. They were the people that were like the threat. And so there was always these kind of conspiracy theories that were being passed around. And it always goes to the worst possible case scenario, you know, because that's just the... That's our imagination. This is what our imagination does, you know? Well, I, I was thinking like a surprise party is a conspiracy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like all- It's like your, a fun conspiracy. Yeah, like all your friends yeah. could be like, hey, it's Dave's birthday. We're, we want to take him to his restaurant and then you're all there and don't let him know. And it's like, that's classic fucking conspiracy. All these people are sh- are doing deals with, you know, buying the cake and reserving the restaurant and <laughs> and you're in the dark about it. And then, you know, you end up- like, oh, this is great. Look how much everybody, you know, cared about me and <laughs> and all that stuff. So there is nothing inherently negative to a conspiracy. Right. Just like yeah, there's right. another one, like a corporation is just a group of people who have decided to do something together. Mm. And that's not, it, so it's not necessarily a, you know, corporate. Corporate just means a body. Mm. But or it's like not, corporeal. you know, we do, oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's the same corpse. Yeah core, all these things, same root, that um, we talk about something as being corporate, like, ugh, fucking, this place is so corporate, bro. And like, it's a bad <laughs> thing. And it's like, well, that just means that a body of people got together and did this. Actually, yeah. every restaurant you've ever been to is corporate yeah. in some way or another because several people decided to open a restaurant together. Yeah, right, right. You know, and that's not necessary. So it's, there's a similar thing with conspiracies that it's like conspiracy, Join making a band is a conspiracy. right. You know, hey man, let's let's meet in secret, write a bunch of music, <laughs> yeah, and then then all together in a coordinated effort, we're gonna go to this bar and we're gonna play our <laughs> instruments at the same time, yeah, in a coordinated effort to bring the fucking rock, yeah, right, <laughs> you know, bring the rock, <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah, you know. So there's nothing inherently yeah. wrong with these things, right. and I I feel like in in our sort of uh, infantilized culture or in the infantile areas of culture, 
it seems like the only way is that people can understand a conspiracy is in the 100% good or 100% bad. Yeah. That you either say there's a conspiracy because I'm at, and I'm at the center of it because God is telling me that I'm the one who must bring about, build the new Jerusalem in Southern California or whatever. Or I'm being hunted by fucking Randy Quaid's thing, like the celebrity bounty hunters. Remember that shit? Oh yeah, yeah, he kind of like yeah, I forgot. Yeah, he went real. He he went deep into that. But yeah. also in sort of a like a unique like he wasn't talking about shit other people were talking about. He had this like totally bespoke <laughs> thing <laughs> where it's like you know I'm the guy who flew the ship into the alien craft in Independence Day, but I'm like the most important person oh, in the world. Dude, like, that, that, I think I remember laughing that the real life Randy Quaid was essentially like playing the first half of his that character in Independence yeah. Day of the conspiracy <laughs> theorist, like alien conspiracy theorist. Dude. I know. <laughs> but yeah, it's like the only way that we can understand these things is as, you know, 100% good or 100% evil. Yeah. And that it's much harder to see the stuff in the middle where it's, you know, and bringing this back to the movie is, you know, that it feels like in a lot of these, I mean, this the characters in the movie go through this, but also you see it in a lot of other, not Hellier. Hellier is actually pretty pretty balanced about this stuff, but like other, a lot of paranormal content in general or occult content in general is is you'll get the the kind of thing where people, I have figured out the exact way that all the pieces fit together and this is 100% it, you know, and there's no arguing with it and it means this and, you know, now I've solved it. And when you get those people, it's like almost the sense of that that something in that is driving them crazy. The effort having to hold on to, no, I made all the pieces fit together. And the only way that they're fitting together is because you're holding them together with like sheer will. (laughs) Yeah. And that if you actually relaxed, some of those pieces would fall apart and, you know, maybe you'd have to see like, I'm not at the center of the universe (laughs) or, but then still the balancing act of not having that turn into none of what I was talking about was true. Yeah. So in the, in terms of the movie, it's like, I do feel like something happened in that apartment, you know, something weird did happen there. And they go through all these theories of it, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, and it never really resolves into it's 100% this or that, it's maybe 80% this and 10% that or something, but that balance, and in so doing, it maintains the balance of... You know, it, it flirts with the dark conspiratorial angle, but never fully goes there. It, it yeah. flirts with the mystical angle, but never fully goes there. The scientific rational, but never fully goes there. And mm. then that's the tightrope walk that where this stuff really, this stuff is always a tightrope walk, I think yeah. is, is what I'm getting at. So Yeah, no, definitely. And it's all present, especially in in this scenario where it's people confined to their apartments, you know? yeah. Like with COVID, but also confined because they're in the movie. They're trying to find this. They're, they're like fixated on this paranormal activity. You yeah, know, they're stuck in their apartment. Um, all of those, all of those things are present. They don't go away. You know, despite how fixed in the moment you can be on an idea. 
This has been the Modern Rubbish Podcast. You can follow us on Instagram at Modern Rubbish Podcast, and you can find show notes, links, and more at modernrubbish.ca. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a five-star rating. And feel free to reach out to us via email at modernrubbishpodcast at gmail.com. Thank you.